I'm the, no, uh, not you do, do something. I, the computer do something. It's recording now. Now it's all awkward and weird. Hi everybody. Welcome to Hit Rewind, the podcast hosted by a fucking doofus <laughs> and his friend Jacob, who's only slightly doofy. Just a little, except for this. No, doing his handstand against the wall. Hold on. Why? He's uh, trying okay. to stretch out his back. Um, we are going to be discussing the last four films of the 1991 section. I think we're going to have to go back to six films. This is so many episodes. We did seven. Seven episodes about the films of 1991. I still didn't cover everything, obviously. But um, let's uh, let's wrap this up and head on into 1992. So the first of the four films we'll be discussing... Well, those aren't words. That wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that just kicked me off the fucking air. <laughs> no, 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 no. You need to be in the air. You All need right. to fly. All right. What is the first one we're starting off with? Let's get, I mean, backdraft. I mean, it's Ron Howard, uh, early 1991. And the reason I know this so much was because of all the uh, special behind the scenes features that would show up like on like HBO or Showtime. And when I went to Universal Studios, they had a lot dedicated to all the pyrotechnics. Again, just all those practical effects uh, with pyrotechnology. Was uh, uh, watching this movie. It was fucking great. Yeah. And you're kind of like, it was kind of like a cliche action movie. I mean, but it got Kurt Russell. And I, I couldn't help it. I like Kurt Russell. Yes. I, I like Kurt. Yeah. Russell. Well, he's one of my favorites. Um, the only thing I thought was it was a little over the top. The score was so big, and some of the lines of dialogue were really like big. But also at the same time, we were ignoring firefighters. We didn't really didn't give them any credit. Here's what you'll you never hear: corrupt firefighters. <laughs> you hear it out of cops. <laughs> you never hear it out of firefighters. Um, I mean, I was literally just I was doing a burn pile in my back uh, my backyard today. And um, oh. the the insane heat that came off of that, and I was just imagining what it was like for a firefighter to completely be surrounded by that insane heat. Uh, oh, truly God, impressed. No. Yeah, but also like that one particular firefighter, uh, well, Glenn Youngkin, I think it was the one that was like helping set up those backdrafts and those fires. You mean Scott Glenn? What? Scott Glenn. Yeah. I, what I, what, I mean, well, at least I got half the name right. Yeah, Glenn Youngkin, I think, surprised. is a politician now, I think. Yeah, he's um, probably an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, there's, there is corruption in that movie, but it, you never hear about it in real life. Um, this of course was, not, I guess. Oh, go ahead. We're both pausing. <laughs> there was a thing. Uh, we used to have convocations in high school. I think they're called com- We just call them combos. Um, where they would get you hyped up for the new year of school. So, you know, it's September, we all bring into the auditorium and they start playing this blasting positive video with tons of action sequences. And the very first one that sat through was the one with the, the clips from Backdraft and like Midnight Run, just a bunch of Universal Studios kind of stuff and action movies at that time. I think T2 was in there too. But just to get you really wrapped up, but man, I could not believe how big this movie is. I mean, they really spent a fortune on the pyrotechnics and getting the set. And, and even though it's a set and has stuntmen, it's still extremely dangerous. Oh, absolutely. And I think, didn't William Baldwin actually go through uh, firefighter training to prepare for this movie? I wouldn't be surprised if he made all of them go through training because that's just what he does. Remember when uh, he did Apollo 13 and had them go through the vomit rocket? <laughs> Yes. Oh God. Well, I mean, it being Ron Howard, you can never expect anything less than great from him. Yeah, it's 
and people still give him shit for Solo. I, I don't know why. It's so good. Um, exactly. That's a, I mean, anybody bashing Solo, they're just fucking mean. Yeah, he's coming off a big run here because, you know, we got Night Shift, uh, mm, Splash, uh, Gung-Ho, Willow, Parenthood, and then this. And of course, again, uh, as I mentioned, it was that successful and that memorable that they put, like, that little... Um, uh, like they put that, they put that as part of the Universal Studios tour when you're like going through all the sets and all the, uh, you know, little uh, demonstrations. And stuff. Right, right. Like the Waterworld and the Conan bar, the Barbarian show. They keep these things forever because it costs a fortune to design them. Um, yeah, I really think it's a fascinating movie, and it really gets into the complications of what it's like dealing with the loss of a firefighter. You know, they lose their father, and it's. It's just such an interesting, like, path that both brothers choose. And there's also, like, a really good mystery involved. And this thing is stacked to the fucking hilt with the cast. I mean, you got De Niro, Sutherland, uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh, um, Rebecca mm -hmm. DeMornay, William Baldwin, Kurt Russell, Scott Glenn. Um, I feel like I'm missing a couple people here. But, oh, God. Uh, uh, no, the one who played the... Uh big city councilman uh the one who ended up right he's always a bad guy he's only died early he was in breakdown i can't remember what his name was but um but jack i know jack nicholson i think i uh, gave a shout out to him one time damn it he's always Glenn, a shithead good, good fucking for, i know I'm, hold on I, you know what i'm gonna have to look this up now. all right now, it's uh no jt walsh jt walsh thank you always known for being an a-hole died fairly young in i think 99 after he had done pleasantville of a heart attack, and uh, he just had a decade there of just like really, really good performances, usually as a yes. total tool. <laughs> yes, he was at Sling Blade and Breakdown and A Few Good Men and Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. right. I think that's good where he kind Vietnam. of became a name. Um, so this was written... So Gregory Wyden has only written three movies in his career that got that got made into a film. I'm sure he has a lot of stuff sitting on the, on the shelf that never got made, but Highlander... Uh, so out of Highlander, we have five movies, a cartoon, a video game, a TV spinoff. He does The Prophecy, which had five movies total. He does Backdraft, which finally there was a sequel, I think, two years ago. Um, and, of course, all the money from the theme park attraction. Have you seen the, the directed video sequel? No. I believe it's on Netflix, so I'm going to check it out because this one is more because uh, it's you know it's direct to video, so it's lower budget. But this one's more all about the mystery about the burn, uh, burning, whatever. And now William Baldwin is a senior um, detective, and he's training uh, Kurt Russell's little boy. Oh, his nephew. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. Fun fact: Gregory Wyden was a firefighter for three years. No shit. Wow. Yeah. Was he also a Highlander for three years? <laughs> Sadly, no. Immortals don't exist. And good. Oh, darn. I know, because can you imagine if some people were immortal and still alive? Oh, no. Um, That'd be so bad. Uh, also, <laughs> I didn't know this until right now, the three people who had auditioned for Brian before William Baldwin got it, <laughs> Robert Downey <laughs> Jr., Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves. Oh, wow. Oh, well, I know Brad Pitt did lose out. But as far as Robert Downey Jr., um, oh gosh, I think this was the time he was just like really going downhill. It's well, he had just come off of doing Air America, I believe, 
And I don't remember what he did during 91. Brad Pitt, if he had done this, he wouldn't have got that spotlight in Thelma and Louise. And Keanu Reeves did uh, Point Break. So everything worked out, I think. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Um, oh, I forgot actually... to mention, there is one actor in here, Jason Gedrick. Not a household name unless you're a kid of the 80s. Uh, I bet you he was really close to getting Brian as well because he was that kind of actor. But he's known for being in Iron Eagle. Mm. which one was iron eagle about iron eagle is the one that came out right before top gun and i'm telling you right now it's better um his dad gets shot down over in i think israel iran or something like that and they're not going to do anything because it could spark a major war so they're going to let him be a prisoner they're going to they're going to um kill him for invading their territory even though he didn't so his son and all his friends get together and they get the help of an old uh, pilot named Chappie, played by Lou Gossett Jr., who teaches them how to fly, and they sneak in and to save their father. Oh, oh cool. It's yeah, no, so I'll go look into that one. That does sound awfully familiar now. No, now it was, it was a decent-sized hit, um, but it got overshadowed by Top Gun uh, over the years. Damn it, Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh, so there's two more things I want to say about this movie. One... I loved how the backtrack essence gave it like this supernatural presence, especially with like the cinematography and the sound and the uh, Oh yeah, it's like a lion. It's like a creature, a dragon. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's what I loved about how Ron Howard and Sin the director of cinematography handled that. And also, one little surprise cameo that did get me, other than the fire, actual Chicago firefighters uh, as extras, um, David Crosby. He's in this? <laughs> Yeah. Like, I, that's the, weird. What? He has a cameo in this, and he also has a cameo in Hook. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was Tickles. He was like, Blah, blah, the Hook. I just watched that and discussed it with someone else, um, and I was like, I don't know why it gets so much hate or so much praise. It's just fine. <laughs> I think it depends on it, how old it, you it, were. It's, it's a wonderful movie, but... I will say this about what, how Steven Spielberg reacted to this movie. He, I don't think he wanted to work with that, that uh, a group of kids that big ever again because nah. they were just so out of control. But I'm like, they're kids. That's yeah, what do you expect? Do. Especially when they're playing the Lost Boys. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, so our next film is. Boom. My girl, oh. <laughs> my girl, my girl. I thought you were going to like some sort of bongos. Um, let's say this. I liked the movie when I was a kid. Um, I absolutely fell in love with it. Watch it. This is only the second time I've ever seen it. And I thought the performances were absolutely fantastic. The structure of the story. And they finally made a movie for girls that didn't feel cheap and lower level. Like, I feel like it's like the way they do with action movies. They would always give them lower budgets and lower quality and just nothing to work with. And this was a big hit, and it was really, really fucking good. And, and Dan Aykroyd was smart enough to understand the 90s he was no longer a leading man and to step back and, and be a support. And it, I, it's a really great dramatic performance. Oh, I've got absolutely, yes. In almost every aspect, you know, definitely a coming of age. Um, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis as a supporting actress as well. I, that was a very, uh, there were times very important for uh, Anna Klumsky's character, Veda, you know, it's, it's it's Vader, but with like a British accent, Vader. Yeah. That's how you pronounce it. So yeah, uh, again, Jimmy Lee Curtis and like just telling her, just like, you know, trying to get her to accept her that, you know. Oh gosh, I was going on a tangent. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> I think you had a stroke. 
<laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe something. No, but like, what you're saying oh. is though that is an important part of the story is dealing with a new person in your life when I, her mother has never been there, but it's always been her and her father, and it's a, really dealing with gaining and lossing yes. the loss of things, and you know her emotional state. She's she's about to hit puberty. You know she's gonna lose her best friend. Spoiler, sorry. Um, she's gonna have a new mother, and. She has this weird hypochondria thing too, and she's in love with her teacher. It's it's a coming of age story where I feel like an entire season of a show is compressed into one movie, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. No, of course not. And, and of course, um, Griffin Dunn also being the teacher, you know, and who she has a crush on, as you mentioned. Uh, yeah, no, he definitely steps in as a pivotal. Uh, a, like a learning experience he's definitely open-minded you know getting her how to think and she shows that she's a very you know gifted writer and of course dan Aykroyd's uh character her father seems you know again him being a mortician and running you know his business he yeah we definitely see how neglectful he is even when she like points it out as she narrates yeah <laughs> Um, I, I don't remember the sequel, but I remember it not being very well received uh, financially or critically, and that was kind of the end of Anna Klum Annie Klumsky's career for a very long time. I think she does occasional TV now, but it's kind of a shame because she's a really good actress. Yeah, she was in Deep with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Oh, okay. I didn't know she was a regular on that. I know she showed up on 30 Rock, but for her, I think she just did these two movies uh trading mom and I, I think like something gold diggers the hunt for gold with Bear, christina yeah yeah, with christina yeah, ricci. Is. yeah i don't know i don't think she did anything else but um and of course macaulay calkins the big name at this point but when he signed on and filmed it he hadn't even you know uh i don't even know if uh home alone had even been released yet um i think he gives a fine nuanced performance but it's really her show Oh, absolutely. And again, she's the main character we follow. And again, just seeing everything from her point of view, a uh, young girl growing up in the 60s, dealing with loss and, of course, being guided from everybody like outside of her father, whom, as you can tell, she's trying to get the attention of. Yeah. But he's just so caught up in work. And then Jamie Lee Curtis kind of like uh, is the one that does help balance him out. I just love her setup, how she first comes in like being like a makeup artist, and then it's like, uh, you don't know, this is a, uh, you know, this you're going to be putting makeup on people who are deceased. <laughs> and she's like, oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Again, yeah, like I said, it just, uh, overall, yes, like, it's a very memorable movie. It was on so much, you know, when I was a kid. It did seem so like it was, it was a TNT constant play. HBO as well. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, again, it's a it's an overall very well memorable movie, and I definitely enjoy it more so as an adult. Especially, um, oh gosh, even the classroom scenes where, you know, Veda goes uh, to her teacher's summer class, te you know, teaching them writing. And just, like, all the types of people you see in there from, like, you know, hippies. Tom Villard, of course. I love Tom Villard. Rest in peace, buddy. He's so good in this horror comedy called Popcorn. I don't know if you've ever seen it, 
But it's one of the best horror movies ever made, and his performance is fucking knock it off the charts good. It came out like six months before My Girl. Okay, I'm gonna have to look into that now. It's so good. (laughs) But yeah, I just like how like you know he's like you know somewhat. He's definitely a hippie for sure, but he didn't really seem too over the top, you know, pushy. And then of course there was the one female in there who was just like giving out that little erotic story, and everybody's just like. Okay. <laughs> uh, Have you ever been in a creative writing class, by the way? Oh, God. Um, no, I can't say. I have. I took it. It was one of the very last classes I took in college. I had to just have an, another elective. And we never wrote anything. <laughs> we never learned anything. <laughs> what would happen is the teacher would start 15 minutes in. There was these three girls who would spend the whole time bitching about how terrible men were. <laughs> and then there was a couple people who were fucking weird. And they would yam around for a bit. And the class would be over. I'd look over at the normal people and go, we're paying for this. We're fucking paying for this. And we uh, we had the, we had this short story we had to write. And I... I'm being dead serious. I worked my ass off on this short horror story, and um, my fucking uh, 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 hard drive—what we would call it, um, floppy, uh, hard disk drive, whatever you want to call it—failed, and it erased everything. And uh. So I couldn't, I could read it in front of the class. So I had to, you know, I, I finished the class, whatever. Then I had to run back, turn it in the next day because we were so close to graduating, and I absolutely. Oh my god! This. But there was a guy. Who had the, a head the size of a fucking Buick? It was the biggest, ugliest head. Alfred E. Newman on steroids. It means pumpkin head or something. And he proceeds to tell a story about him and his buddies getting a limo and going to the bar and getting all these chicks and having an orgy in the car. And he's really in detail. No one stopped him. And I wanted to throw up. And I'm pretty sure most of the class wanted to throw up. So awful. I know. I'm like, okay. I pay for it. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was expecting something a little bit like, uh, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but... No, it was bad. It was bad, bad. It, it uh, was worse. It was like, it wasn't even porno good. Nope, it was disgust. It was like, uh, uh, porno with the ugliest people you could possibly imagine. Where were we? What movie's next? Okay, next movie is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, God, this was on so much, and this is, of course, you know helped make a Brian Adams uh, song even more famous. Yeah, well, at the time, I think his career was a little bit low. I don't think his last album sold very well, and this just blew him back up so big. You could not get away from this song. It was everywhere. This movie was huge. I don't think people understand. It was like $175 million in 1991 money. It was a $50 million budget, which today would be like $200 million budget. And... It was a phenomenon. We went and saw this in theaters, my sister and I. And uh, fast forward really quick, when we have the cameo at the end, everybody lost their fucking minds. I've never been in a movie that lost its mind like that. When they saw and I didn't know the history that he had played Robin Hood before. Everybody was just fucking crazy about him. We're like, yeah, I got What Sean Connery, what do you expect? I got to kiss the bride first. Um, be thankful, this be movie, thankful I didn't teach your dog to sit. <laughs> um, this movie is for some reason badmouthed all the time now. It's widely hated. I don't know why. A lot of it is Kurt uh, Kevin Costner is a terrible actor apparently because he can't hold an English accent. Fuck you. Remove that. Okay. He still gives a phenomenal performance. Maybe he shouldn't have done the English accent in the first place. And maybe the director said, "Well, we've already filmed this much. It's not holding. You, you just go. Just let it go." 
And I think he's so goddamn good. He's so passionate. This exactly. is the best Robin Hood movie, in my opinion. You know, I, and of course, I have to make I have to make a mention of Robin Hood Men Inside. They make they make a nod to that. Yeah. And Carrie Elwes says, unlike other Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> it just happens, but it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It's so no, exquisite. And this is this should have been the final say in the Robin Hood story. Um, I think everything after this doesn't work. I think that the the new one with all the gadgets is stupid. I think the one with uh, uh, Russell Crowe was a fucking disaster. It was a disaster in the first place because um, Christian Bale was supposed to play Robin Hood and Russell Crowe was supposed to be the sheriff from Nottingham. And then for some reason they said that he was going to play both of them. And then he decided just to be uh, Robin Hood. By then the budget was so bloated there was no way it was ever going to be a hit. And it's not fun. I have it's it's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is the perfect balance of romance, comedy, and truly scary like action. Like people's lives are truly in danger, and I think Kevin Reynolds is so underrated as the director. And I just I just don't understand why this now is getting so much grief. It's so damn good. And did you watch the director's cut? I have yet. It's, uh, I didn't watch the director's cut. I just watched the regular cut. In my bad. Oh, okay. The director's cut has like an extra 15 minutes really, really focused on uh, the witch. Yeah. Oh, God. As a as a child, she scared the shit out of me. Yeah? Like, well, guess I, what? She was Crypt Keeper status. In the director's cut, she reveals she's the true mother of the sheriff of Nottingham. Well, that kind of would explain a lot considering how, uh, you know, the sheriff, like, excuse me always kept her so close and revered her that and she also had a vision yeah well and she was building and protecting him to build her power or whatever but let's talk about this real quick fucking alan rickman as good as kevin costner is alan rickman runs circles around him and just fucking destroys he's having the best time ever oh god yes absolutely oh man even um oh gosh why am i blinking on his name but the one who played uh is it Michael Wincott? Uh, uh, yes, my cousin. Wincott. Why would you have a a, a, a a fork or whatever? He goes because it would hurt more. <laughs> Something like that. Or the spin. Yeah, exactly. Well, Robert of Luxley, welcome home. Okay, he always gives like honestly as a supporting character, especially even with that deep voice. It's always fucking wonderful to see Michael Wincott. Yeah. Especially in Basquiat, that's like one of my favorite roles of his. And um, oh god, the main villain in The Crow. Oh, right. I like him in uh, Alien Resurrection. I don't see him much anymore, but yeah. he stepped back quite a bit. Uh, his brother, actually, is a very popular uh, kung fu movie star, direct-to-video stuff during the 90s. Oh, wow. Uh, we have Christian Slater. Uh, he's the only performance that seems like he's not really given anything to do. Yeah, I pretty much he had to make do with what he did have. Yeah. I mean, he's but, fine. I mean, I, but Yeah, he's enjoyable. Um, Morgan Freeman's fucking great. <laughs> He's the smartest man in the entire movie, and everybody else around him is kind of a dope. I fucking lose my mind every time he hands over the, um, uh, not the binoculars, the, um, par damn it, what is it called? Telescope. Telescope over to Robin, and Robin takes out his sword <laughs> and starts stabbing at the people, and there's a look <laughs> on Azim's face. He's like, what the stupid fuck are you doing? <laughs> He's like, uh, they're not there. Yeah. Relax. It's technology. You'll get used to it. And again, <laughs> of course, during the Crusades and like how they were locked up in prison for so many years. Yeah. 
Um, Michael Machane as um, Friar Tuck, I think, is so much fun. He's having a, a wonderful time. Oh, God, yes, you could tell. And even when he has, like, that little line at the end after, you know, Robin and Mary kiss. Yeah. Almost like it's a little nod, like there's going to be a sequel, but there wasn't. Uh, Which is a good thing. That's I think the thing that surprises me. This movie made so much fucking money, but Kevin Costner had a rule that he never made sequels. He just never made sequels. And I keep thinking about all the movies he could have had sequels to. There could have been an Untouchables franchise, a Robin Hood franchise. Of course, sadly, Waterworld was never going to be a franchise because it barely made its money back after video. But... The fact that he didn't, and then no one ever said, well, why don't we just continue with, like, the son of Robin Hood or something, you know? How come... Here's the other thing, is with Robin Hood movies, why is it we cannot move beyond that one story? There's so many tales you could do, just go beyond it. There's the TV shows that do it, and there was a really good sci-fi channel movie called um, Ghost of Sherwood Forest, I think is what it is. Um, It's with the girl who played Lois Lane from Smallville. It was really pretty good for a TV movie. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, again, I'm just glad that the Legend of Robin Hood still continues on. Yeah, and but again, I think it yeah, does. Far... I think it does need to evolve. Like in the '60s, Hammer films made like six or seven Robin Hood movies that went beyond the original story. Oh wow! Yeah, no, absolutely. Where could they take it this time? I mean, in space would be a, would be like <laughs> Robin Hood in space. No, I just meant, like, add more sword and sorcery, go into the other uh, battles for the kingdom, you know, like, go further in that direction, because, you know, it's not just, his his only enemy isn't, you know, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham. What about Prince John? Prince John never shows up in this one. Yeah, I was about to mention that. Yeah, now that you, now that you reminded me, yeah, again, he showed, I mean, he's great by Oscar Isaac in, uh, the one by Ridley Scott, one in 2010. But yeah, no, there's no Prince John. So weird. You mentioned it's all the sheriff, which is which I think kind of helps because there's already so many characters. It would be kind of a little bit thrown out of balance because like now you, make, you need to make time for him and yeah, this yeah. shit. But, but I mean, it could have been a sequel. Is what I'm saying, yeah. But um, <laughs> how iconic is that music for for decades? I think they might still even do it. Morgan Creek, the company that produced this movie, used that in their opening logo. Oh, absolutely, they do. Every time I heard that, I always thought Robin Hood was on. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Michael Kamen, I think, was the one who did the music. Now, now these movies were the big tent poles of 1991, and Backdraft changed the rules because this, I think, 1991, it was the first time that a movie had uh, a big movie had opened up before Memorial Day. We talked about that with What About Bob, but I was I was wrong. Backdraft was the first one, so that's when all of a sudden the first week of May, the second week of May became, you know, playing ground, whatever. Uh, Robin Hood was the Memorial Day one, but our final right. film is the July 4th, 1991, knock him out of the fucking park, destroy everything in its path for months on end. The only movie that came along was six weeks later, and it was Hot Shots <laughs> that beat it. But two... It was the most expensive movie ever made by a long shot. By a very long shot. No movie had come even close to a $100 million budget. I think the closest was um, $60 million for Rambo 3. And 
Oh, wow. It made 200 in America, not the biggest ever, but it was one of the biggest internationally, 550 million. And this is the movie that the rest of the sequels have been chasing. Because remember, the first one was only a $6 million movie that made like 60. And it okay. just. Okay. What? Oh, no, I'm listening. Oh, like oh. as far as the budget goes, as far as. I'm listening, you know, yeah, paying attention to the detail. The the Terminator, the original one, just blew up on video, played constantly on TV, and then seven years later we finally got a sequel, and we're changing technology, we're, we're changing... I think the biggest mistake they made with this fucking movie is that so many of the making of, so much of the trailer already showed you that Arnold was fighting on their side. They kept it a secret for a little bit, but then like this, they just let it go. And I'm like, yeah, why would you do that? Because that's a that's a big point in the movie is that you're not sure what he's going to do when he's there because you assume that he's just going to open fire on Sarah Connor and and John and it doesn't happen. And I think they should have held back on that. Um, we saw this in theaters. Holy shit, was it fucking amazing? The sound was the biggest sound you've ever heard in your life. Every time he shot that rotating shotgun, which we were all obsessed with, because I didn't understand how that worked. Um, yeah. He he didn't use the sound of a shotgun. He used the sound of a fucking cannon firing. That's how big Jim uh, James Cameron goes. Oh yeah, no, hands down. Um, again, yeah, I watched this before I ever watched the first Terminator. Because you know, being born in '88. Yeah. You know, four years later. But uh, from the original movie, so I didn't know too much about Kyle Reese and all that. But again, yeah, it, it how it sets itself up. You know, you think uh, that one cop is there to protect John, but nope, it's the other way around. Yeah. Oh and man, just, am I so glad Robert Patrick broke out of that? Because remember, after this, he was only doing spoofs of this performance and then low budget action movies, and all of a sudden he like kind of rebooted cool. his career like five years later. He had that appearance when uh, he pulls over Wayne and he asks if he's seen this boy. And yeah, well, he does. Off. He has that brief appearance in the last action hero. Other than that, he had signed a deal with PM Entertainment for low budget direct video movies, and I thought his career was over with. He was doing Double Dragon, which bombed, Fire in the Sky, which bombed. And when he showed up in Striptease and completely changed our, our, our idea of our project. <laughs> Have you seen Striptease? Yeah, he was, he's, oh god, he was fucking hilarious. A hoot in that, I, I, I can't wait to get to 96, because I think that movie's horribly underrated. <laughs> but um, I do still believe the first Terminator is better, but it's also just because it, it's my aesthetic that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the neon, I'm looking for the horror element. They ditch, 80s. They ditch a little bit of the horror in this one, but it's still really scary yeah. and suspenseful, because you do not know what the liquid terminator can do it's unstoppable but it's also like unpredictable because it doesn't always look the same exactly and also it's not as um what's i'm trying to think of the right word not as uh not necessarily stiff but not so um robotic like he's more fluid he's more right organic. well also choosing somebody who wasn't built like the terminator of course the legend is is that lance henriksen was originally going to be cast as a terminator but they refused because they didn't think he could bring in the money uh i think they auditioned oj and they said they couldn't see him as a murderer <laughs> and then and then got yeah and then they went to arnold to play kyle reese but then he wanted to play the terminator instead um and then, you know, so they switched it, and then Robert Patrick is this really athletic, sleek little machine, and, you know, and that's kind of the way they've stuck with the whole franchise now, is, like, leaner people as the Terminator. Um, and, yeah, not to mention, also, 
anything, any uh, advanced model, yeah, it's always like a more slick kind of person. Yeah, and the franchise really does go crazy directions, but it's always like they're always trying to somehow, it's like the way they do with Halloween. They're always trying to get back to the original thing, but they keep erasing movies. But, the only way it works yes. is because Terminator is a timeline-oriented thing, so you can rewrite it. Because... Um, so John Con oh fuck I can try to remember so Sarah dies after this one she's not in the third one but then they bring her back for the TV show uh, which is a totally different actress but then they have Dark Fate which brings her back but then it erases the previous movies and they kill John Connor almost immediately because apparently Eddie Furlong is just too far gone his, his, I, I, if he doesn't live much longer I really wouldn't be surprised I, I feel really bad for child actors who their lives are just ruined by too much, too fast, too young. Exactly. Yeah, no, again, that's why, like, you know, you see the kids from Stranger Things and the ones growing up now are kind of, like, taking their time and being kids. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worrisome because for so long we lost. What's the kid from uh, The Client? He died really young of a drug overdose. Brad, Brad Renfro. Renfro. Thank you. Yeah, so many. And then uh, with Nick Stahl from the third Terminator. You know, he was a child actor, and he got into drugs really bad, and it's just... It really is upsetting. Um, but I, I hope these kids can, their career can be saved. Um, can I also talk about some of the supporting cast? Joe Morton as Miles Dyson. His performance is so fucking good. And I know some people think it's hammy overacting, but when he is dying and he can barely breathe and he's... <laughs> whatever. And like he's, he's hyperventilating. Yeah, I think he's so goddamn good. And I... I I'm glad his career kind of picked up after this. He started getting like a lot of support work in studio films. Um, Xander Berkeley, <laughs> uh, who who became kind of a character actor later, but he gets the fucking harpoon metal thing through his mouth, and the milk is pouring out. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, it's like you. That guy, I mean, again, he was just like kind of a dick too. So yeah. I'm like, eh, I, it's like I don't feel sorry for those people. The uh, but I. I I really liked um, Danny Cooksey. Now, not a lot of people know who Danny Cooksey is. Um, I remember from Salute Your Shorts. Yes, Salute Your Shorts. He was a child actor who was, first off, he was a country singer. And then he got cast um, in the last couple seasons of Different Strokes as a new, like, hey, the, you know, Arnold's getting too old. Let's get another cute kid. And then he kind of disappeared. And then all of a sudden just shows up in this, completely changed his career into like a smarmy kind of, uh, you know, punk kid. And uh, he does animated voice work now. He has his own rock and roll band. But I thought it was really fun seeing him in this. It was a bit of a surprise. But I just love how he played off. Like when he sees the T-1000 asking where John is, he's like, no, I haven't seen him. Yeah. His he played mullet, off really cool. His fucking skullet. Yep. Oh, <laughs> cannot forget that mullet. Yeah, but he also, um, what I do want to mention, Robert Patrick, in the chase scenes where he's going after uh, John Connor, he they're actually... Where takes where James Cameron and everybody says like yeah no uh, they admit that Robert Patrick actually was running so fast because of all the training he had done he actually caught John Connor in a take. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, um, I know, dude. He's fucking yeah. Before yeah, yeah, this, Robert Patrick goes all out. Before this, he had just been in like really low budget, grimy uh, Roger Corman films that were shot in the Philippines. They kept casting him because he would do these crazy stunts and he was so fit. You know that movie. Uh, Eagle Eye, I think that's what it is. Eye of the Eagle. 
No, 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 hold on. So, so he's in a Viet, he's in this Vietnam series from Roger Corman called Eye of the Eagle. That's it. There's three of them. He's only in the first two. And then he's in um, a spinoff of that called Behind Enemy Lines. Not the one with... Um, oh, with Owen Wilson. No, no, not that one. It was in 1986. But he did all these like low-budget movies. And all of a sudden, when he came back to America, people were like, this guy can do some great stunts. But he wasn't really an actor-actor. So they put him in like all these action movies, or whatever. But then he was in Die Hard Two. Do you remember that? He's on the air, the Skywalk. Yes. And he, yeah. Um, and then he just, I guess, he just got an end with uh, Terminator Two, and his career is made. He's great. I love him. Oh God, he's also in Peacemaker. He's Peacemaker's dad. Holy shit, his performance is so mean. <laughs> I know. I was like, God, it's a, he plays the character so well to the point where I'm like, I just want him to die. Yeah. Let him die. His fucking hair is ridiculous too. I don't get that hair. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, again, his uh, head's again. a fender for fuck's sake. <laughs> Demolition Man. Wesley Snipes had a more subtle haircut. <laughs> Man, but yeah, again, this movie really does like take, um, does like you know a sequel supposed to do shatter expectations and take things out of their comfort zone yeah and mm. it kind of it kind of rebuilds and there's so many tie-ins t-shirts toys comic books uh video oh, yeah games. the toys well, i mean oh, caracal caracal had to make their money back they had spent so much on this and if it failed they were done as a company mind you they were oh, done five years later uh, when they had just too many flops but before this they had you know they lost tons of money on Rob- Rambo 3 they lost money on Red Heat uh, Extreme oh. Prejudice Johnny uh, Handsome all these movies tanked uh, Deep Star 6 Iron Eagle 2 and 3 and Ooh. well 3 hadn't come out yet um, Total Recall did okay but it was also very very exp- that was the most expensive movie before that, that was, it was 60 million dollars for that one um and Air America bombed, and they were just, this was their lifeline for the next few years. Um, they had Universal Soldier and Cliffhanger and stuff like that, keeping them going, but man, when uh, <laughs> Cutthroat Island came out, <laughs> oops, they were done. Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was the last one, it, hence the title, Cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is actually a decent movie, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I know, it's been so long since I've seen it, but... Again, yeah, this is the one I was uh, most familiar with. And that ending, though, like, you know, again, meant so much. Like, this, again, as Sarah put it with the narration, uh, oh, God, Linda Hamilton, dude, she got really... uh, Yeah, that was a big deal. Holy shit. They really pushed that she could cock that shotgun by herself, and then she got super tough. And uh, kudos to her. And it's kind of sad that her career also kind of fell apart after this, too. I don't know what people, I don't think people knew what to do with her. Sadly, no, yeah, because she really wasn't in anything else. I mean, I know she did some voice work afterwards, and then, of course, she came back for Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah. I'm not going to well, lie. Well, awesome. I mean, after this, so I think she did a really good movie right before Terminator 2 that I think everybody needs to see. It's with um, her, Michael Caine, and um, Jim Belushi called Mr. Destiny about if he had just got that you know game-winning home run that he would have changed his entire life, and he gets that option and to see what his life is like if he had done that. It's so damn good, but you know they cast her like in Traces of Red, which was a sexual thriller and stuff like that, where she had split personalities, and they were all really low budget, uh, nothing movies that just kind of did nothing for her, and it's kind of a shame because I think she's a really great actress. Mm-hmm. But yeah, also uh, as far as how the story goes too, I mean, yeah, it's definitely more of a focus on John because you know 
he's a teenager. Yeah. Born. But she's still the guiding force. She's the one who says the future is what you make of it, or whatever. It's you know, it's it's flexible. You could rewrite it in any way. Always set. Yeah. Exactly. And also, like we see her. Oh, it, well, in the extended edition on Blu-ray and DVD later, uh, we see her that they uh, James Cameron put back in that scene where she's hallucinating because uh, she's in the psych hospital and she's hallucinating from the medication they forced mm-hmm. down her throat. Uh, she's seeing Kyle Reese. That's something she can never let go of. Yeah, it's you know. There's so many different versions of this that I, I'm not sure even what version I have now. The, the, the version I have in Voodoo does it have the extra scene? No, actually, I have it on Blu-ray. But oh, it does okay. Have the extra scene. I'm just curious because I have the remastered edition. I can't remember if they put in, because uh, I guess the first the the first uh, run at the uh, HD version of Total Recall and Terminator 3 weren't up to snuff, so they went back and remastered all of them. I'm going to see which one I have. Mm. Not the but I do know there, I know that there was an alternate ending where, um, you know, as they're driving away, after, you know, after the Terminator, you know, destroys itself, um, there's a scene where Sarah Connor is old and she's like writing down this little audio diary. She's like, you know, recording what she's saying, you know, and she sees John playing with his daughter at the little playground. Yeah. And then has her granddaughter tie her shoe for her. Okay. So I like, I only have the remastered theatrical. I do not have uh, the director's cut, which is uh, 17 minutes longer. Now I'm tempted, damn it. Again, I'm glad they kept that final scene um, as a like uh, special feature rather than keeping it in the film. Because, I mean, yeah... It's great to see Sarah Connor at peace yeah. after all they've endured. But again, yeah, like it really sets up something even more so with and makes it. I think the anonymous endings uh, far more better. Yeah, even though they did destroy, you know, all the Terminator tech, it's like who knows what can happen. Like something else could change. Something worse could come along. Yes. Yeah. It's... So, yeah, I think that was a smart move. Yeah. I can't believe we went this long on it, but it really is. These are some epic movies. These are the biggest movies I think that we've talked about on the on 1991. I mean, these are massive worldwide hits. And, you know, I think people kind of forget about Backdraft. It still has a cult following. Robin, like I said, is getting the shit uh, uh, lately. Uh, My Girl is Beloved by Girls of All Generations. And Terminator 2 is a stone-cold plastic that just changed everything. I mean, became July 4th became epic. That, that was the, the time when you had to open your big, massive tent poles. Yeah, Memorial Day, July 4th. Yes, absolutely. Trying to, think of, what, say, trying to think of what came out it, July 4th, 1992. Mm. I'm trying to remember. Oh, no. Yeah, now I remember when, when it came to the Terminator 2 toys. I remember this one where you can actually get the exoskeleton and make like this little rubbery yeah I remember that covering. I had a little metal one Micro Machines started putting out action figures around 95 I think and I had one of the T2 or, as he was blown up and like kind of hanging all weird <laughs> it's a fucking strange toy to have oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> right where he's just oh god <laughs> yeah seriously again what I do want to mention one more thing about that movie is like this villain did make the T-800 like Fireboy it was the other yeah. way around this time. Isn't oh, it? the advanced technology, not just CGI, but the work that Stan Winston did was just incredible. Oh, fuck yes. Not only a bigger budget, but like just, again, oh, the music score, Brad Fidel. Yeah. Like, again, 
definitely, dun, dun, I mean, dun, still, dun. yeah, I felt like the kid was more intense, especially like at the end, uh, the opening credits, and you see the T-800 coming through the fire. That little like, music score at the end just really builds up the intensity. Can I tell you what? I, I fucking love it. I was such a massive dork. I used to walk around town pretending I was the Terminator. <laughs> I was more than old enough not to. I think I was 15. Walking around like a T2, staring at people, just walking through town. I mean, I wouldn't move my body, but I would do that thing with my eyes where I just... It's fucking dork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I can't help but think of um, Hot Tub Time Machine 2. You're a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that <laughs> is the end of 1991. I can't wait to attack 1992. I think 1992 has is overloaded with great movies that didn't do well. 92 was one of these years where it just seemed like all these cult classics came out that are underappreciated. I mean, I'm trying to think of the hits from 92 besides Batman Returns. I can't. <laughs> League of the Rome? There you go. Um... But I'm going to be including in one of the episodes a lost episode that you and I did years and years ago when we first started this show. Do you remember the episode where we did Stay Tuned and uh, Mom and Dad Save the World? Yeah. Yeah, I still have that in the archives, and it's going into the 1992. Uh, I'm going to add it on to the next episode. Nice. Yay. All right, so I'm going to send him I'll, a list. i got to get those on Blu-ray. Yeah, well, are they? Blu-ray. I feel like... Stay tuned. Well, maybe not. Stay tuned might because I know it was owned by Morgan Creek and they just sold everything to Sony. And then Mom and Dad Save the World is the one that I don't know if ever be on blue because HBO doesn't give a flying fuck about any of their movies except maybe three movies. And some of them have never even gone beyond VHS because they don't give a shit. And it's... Well... Hmm. Go ahead. No, it, just, it annoys me. But now that Warner, now that like Discovery's kind of owned Warner, I think they're definitely going to care more about that because you could tell, especially with what they plan on doing with DC, like overhauling that and focusing on Superman. I feel like they are going to have to yeah. really care more that, about that. That's the yeah, that's the weirdest thing is because HBO is owned by Warner's and Warner has Warner Archive and they've been digging up you know the vaults or whatever and putting them out on DVD and Blu-ray. For some reason, they never tap into any of the HBO titles and. and uh, Oddly enough, I did find a Western from 1994. I've been on a Western kick lately uh, called Blind Justice with Armand DeSante and um, Elizabeth Shue, where it's basically uh, he's a blind samurai, but it's in the Old West. Um, that was an HBO movie, and they finally, finally uh, put it out on uh, DVD. So, Mwah. Yeah, no, I'll definitely have to look into that. All righty. Um, yes? Who knows? It might be on HBO Max. Maybe. They might have classic yes. Oh, they had a lot of... They used to, back in the day, HBO used to have a niche thing. Friday night, they had low-budget action movies, and Saturday night, they had like these cool niche, more like uh, higher quality, usually biography kind of films. And a lot of these are lost. The HBO just mm-hmm. doesn't give a hooey-kablooey about them. But if they could send them out to some other independent labels, like the way they are now with Shout Factory and their horror films, oh, yeah. Right. Giggity, giggity. Oh. <laughs> I can't believe I just... Oh, that. <laughs> Okay, Jacob. That's how we do. <laughs> Jacob, send us out. All right, namaste and good luck, my friends. All right, as Michael would say, I'm gonna be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. I turned it up. I didn't, I'm not Abe Lincoln anymore. I'm the bus driver from The Simpsons. <laughs> hey, little dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Sheesh. Bye, everybody.